0: I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Today marks a huge milestone for our show. This is the 100th episode virtual applause. (laughs) Since we started the podcast in 2018, we have hosted some of the industry's top business leaders representing organizations like Amazon, Deloitte, MIT, the city of Atlanta, Duke University, NYU, and the list goes on with more amazing guests to come. And thank you to our listeners and to the Business Resilience community who have amassed a 28,000 podcast downloads. Literally in December of 21, we were at 20,000 plus downloads. And four months later, we have gotten to 8,000 more. And this would not have happened without you. For a podcast that started with sporadic uploads, then graduated to bi-weekly episodes. And as of last fall, we are now a weekly show. That is pretty amazing work. Our listeners, like you, keep us going, and we hope our podcast continues to be a resource for you. On that note, if you have not left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please take a couple of minutes to do that right now and share with us what you love about the show. If you have a friend or a colleague who would be interested in the podcast, please share our latest episode with them so they can join our community. If there is a guest that you would like to have on the podcast, please send them to asfalisadvisors.com slash decoded so they can fill out our guest application form. We are so excited to announce our new community newsletter called Four Corners. We have a lot of great content in the works for this community, including opportunities for you to connect with each other, access to exclusive content and bonus interviews, and more. If you would like to join this free email newsletter community of business professionals in the resilience profession, please visit the link in our show notes to sign up for our Four Corners email list. Today, we are sharing the top five most downloaded episodes ever of the podcast. The dynamic speakers in these episodes gave amazing value to our listeners, and we're sharing just one of many key takeaways from each of them in today's episode. First up. Is our first ever episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast called Developing a Successful Crisis Management Program with none other than my great friend, Regina Phelps. In this clip, Regina shares why all crisis managers should understand how to market who they are and what they do to other leaders in the organization to build trust.
1: You're really a marketer and you just don't think you are. So a marketing program is something that you should be super thinking about. Uh, because we have to constantly demonstrate our value. And there's two ways that you should be thinking about marketing. The first one is really looking at doing either what I call overt marketing, and the second is more covert marketing. Overt marketing is taking advantage of those things that are happening in our environment every day, or maybe, for example, things such as a, a month-long program like in September, which is National Preparedness Month, or in April in California is Earthquake Preparedness Month, or October is National Fire Month. And you can build off that. Uh, but you can also then look at more covert means. And what does that mean? If you know that your executives are interested in a certain topic or area, you can then set up something on Google Alerts, which I highly recommend people to use. If you're not familiar with Google Alerts, all you do is Google, Google Alerts. And you can set up keywords that will then, uh, Mama Google every day will send you a great email with a whole bunch of topics in it, in your industry titles, you put in what you're interested in following, and my goodness, so you might put manufacturing and tornadoes and uh, supply chain disruptions, and ah, oh my gosh, every day you'll get something sent to you. Then you can take those articles, you can give them to your executives and other key individuals within your crisis program, and they will begin to understand more deeply. These things are going on all the time, just thankfully it hasn't happened to you. And the last part of that marketing program is actually developing what I call the perfect elevator speech. You should figure that you walk into an elevator someday and maybe you're in a 10 story building. And so you got about 15 seconds and you happen to meet your CEO and he asks you, what do you do for our company? Because perhaps he doesn't know you. He or she doesn't know you. You should have the perfect elevator speech about why crisis management is so important to that company. And it better not be something like when the bad thing happens, you'll be really glad I'm here. It should be talking about the value you provide every day.
0: Up next is our interview with Damien Walsh of Deloitte Advisory about the art of relationships. Damien shared his experience in developing the skills required to build strong business relationships, which are crucial in emergency management. In this clip, he gives some insight into recruiting and the soft skills needed to become a great leader.
2: We recruit right off of college campuses. So I'll be in two days, I'll be at one of the big uni- state universities. I'll be at University of Illinois recruiting people. and. That's the that's a perfect example where if I have a kid coming out of an MBA program or undergraduate, they have no business acumen at all. They have no experience whatsoever. And that's their first question is, how do I how am I realistically going to a company and consulting with them? So let's go back to those skills. Right. The first is those consultants or business analysts, they have to be sponges. They have to have wonderful listening skills. And then the next point, the next one is problem-solving skills or critical thinking. The big thing that I talk about is critical thinking, breaking down problems, breaking down challenges within organizations, and then trying to come up with solutions. And what we'll do with those, those students or those consultants is they'll start to present those to myself, our, our senior managers, our managers. And it's a dialogue. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a collaboration. It's challenging sometimes. So... Listening, critical thinking, creativity is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at problems differently. You have to present things in a different way. You just present in bullets or find some clip art to put in a PowerPoint. It's not gonna work. We <laughs> do so we do so many more things with no PowerPoint now. We go back to manual things again to get away from technology. And then the very last one, very last piece is kind of adapt is the adaptability, the ability to Think on the fly and adapt to a situation. Those are the biggest things. And I would wrap one more thing on top of it all. We talk about storyboarding or the flow of a discussion. In some respects, it goes back to the preparation for a, a meeting or a preparation for a discussion on an idea of how the discussion should go. And those are the four or five skills that are really important. And you can find those skills out there.
0: In episode 37 of the podcast, Phil Biggie spoke on what has risen to the level of concern. You're about to hear him speak now on how risk management has changed over his long career and what the biggest risks are today versus 10 years ago. Although this soundbite aired in January of 2020, it is more relevant today than ever before.
3: We... um get concerned, certainly, over uh, you know the, the older practices of, let's say, doing a business impact assessment or doing a risk analysis. And do we need to waste our time with that? I think uh, something that's risen to a level of concern is the risks to our organizations have changed drastically over the last couple of years, just the couple of years. I think there's a political environment which is uh, not advantageous to us, and I think we need to take a look at those old risk assessments of what's my risk of a tornado or a hurricane or volcano or whatever it is, and we need to turn it around, um, understand our political environment, understand that a lot of the risks are coming from inside our walls, not necessarily outside our walls. So take for example, if I heard a siren going off outside 10 years ago, I would think that they're testing the system. A couple years ago in Hawaii, they tested the system. People legitimately thought that North Korea was firing missiles. We wouldn't have thought that 10 years ago. People took it darn seriously. The risks have changed. I gave a a speech to the uh, uh, Los Angeles IIA, uh, Internal Auditors Association, and uh, uh, there's statistics out there from OSHA where workplace violence has significantly increased, uh, sexual harassment to our employees has significantly increased, Racial tensions at the workplace significantly increased over the past two, three years. Those pose great risks to our businesses. And I think it's, it's a healthy look for us to take a look at our risks, measure those risks, report those to the chief risk officer. We need to help the chief risk officer marry those risks to the other risks that the organization is taking a look at to give senior leadership better guidance on uh, the risk to our organization, what's new and how we need to deal with it.
0: In our most recently released top podcast episode, Dr. Cliff Thomas of Colorado State University and the University of Denver shared his expertise on the myth of best practices. While there are a lot of reasons a best practice might not work for you, in this clip, Dr. Thomas shares why organizational fit is so important when evaluating best practices.
4: Another point I'd like to make has to do with organizational fit because a best practice worked at another organization should we assume that it, it will work for ours not necessarily I mean, you can think of, about a lot of descriptors that make organizations unique but two that come to mind for me are culture yep. and um is resource availability so another organization's culture isn't necessarily in line with the cultures in our organization so the the way decisions are made, the way communications flow, um, hierarchy, things like that differ from organization to organization. And when we, when we implement practices, we tend to think within the context of the problem and the solution and not the wider view. So I like to think of organizational culture as a it's like a river where the water is flowing in a certain way and everybody is you know, sort of thinking, this is the way we do things. When you implement change, do you want to be going with that current or against that current? And quite often, a best practice, if it's not appropriately applied, can be really trying to go against that current. And that's it's hard to be successful that way.
0: Last but not least is our most downloaded episode of all time, Disruptive Innovation and Design Thinking with David Phillips of Faster Glass. Short plug for Charlotte, North Carolina. David is not in the business continuity industry, but the principles shared in this episode center on creating systems with key stakeholders in mind. In this clip, he explains how the concept of designing with and not for applies to our profession and why you should design systems for people as they are and not how you want them to be.
5: As an outsider to those fields, although I have some experience in, in some of those things from, from my past, I think there are a couple of different touch points. One, that we see across almost every sector and every industry that we work with, because we we think design thinking absolutely is industry agnostic. So one of the things we see that, we, that I think applies to business continuity, crisis management, risk management, is that it's really easy for organizations and leaders to put too much emphasis on process, right? We know process is important, but sometimes you know, being a process-driven organization as a strength that can actually, like any other strength that can be overplayed, over-focus on process or efficiency and lose sight of the human aspects of whatever it is they're trying to do or manage or control. So we think design thinking with its uh, human-centered, again, often known as human-centered design, we think that primary emphasis on both the human experience as well as the impact on people and how people actually react and how they, people actually work. Understanding that and then designing systems and processes and tools to accommodate people the way they actually are versus how we think they are, how we want them to be on a piece of paper, we think that has a huge impact and where design thinking can play a role within uh, these three fields.
0: It sounds like an opportunity for sustainable buy-in. Would you say oh, that that's fair?
5: Uh, I would say that is more than fair. Uh, one of the fundamental tenets of design thinking is that wherever possible, you want to design with and not for your key stakeholders. So whether you're, design, whether you're trying to solve problems, designing new products or services, or designing experiences, it's really easy. And this kind of goes back to that process focus. It's really easy to think, well, we know what they need or want, and we'll simply design that for them. And sometimes you're right, but a lot of times you're not. They're just things you don't know and things you don't know you don't know, or nuances or perspectives you might not appreciate. This notion of designing with, not for. So if you think about stakeholder engagement, whether that's senior leadership, uh, whether it's other people within the organization whose buy-in you need and actually whose perspective and input you need if you really want to design something well uh, and so by taking this design with not for approach, it just by by the fact of doing that, you get more buy in because it also is a forum. So it allows you to have your stakeholders get a shared understanding of each other's perspectives. And so where you might have competing interests and in my understanding, especially when it comes to risk management, is you're always going to have competing interests as you get those interests in the room at the table and, and surface so we can actually talk through the details and why I think this and why you think that? And by helping get to that shared understanding, which is not the same as consensus, but a shared understanding of why this and why not that, and then soliciting input from these different stakeholders. Okay, well, here's the risk. Here's what we think the impact and probabilities are. Now, how might we address these? And what do you guys think? When everybody has a chance to help bake the cake, they're much more likely to eat and or sell that cake down the road.
0: You just heard snippets from five of our 100 lifetime podcast episodes and counting. If you want to hear the full length of the episodes, head to the links in our show notes and scroll back through our catalog of episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I cannot express enough how grateful we are to have you as our listeners, guests, and sponsors who have supported the show over the last four years. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our show. Don't forget to sign up for our Four Corners email list and our show notes for access to exclusive content, bonus interviews, and more. I will see you guys on the next week's episode. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Brought to you by Aspolis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.